So if you've uh, been with us for the past month or so, uh, we've been in this series called A Tale of Two Houses, where we've been looking at Jesus's parable of two men. Uh, the first man is uh, a man who builds his house on a rock, so that when the storms come, the rain comes, everything that the world has to throw at this man's house, it stands strong because he's built it on a firm foundation. But Jesus says there's another man, a man who built his house on sand, a weak foundation, so that when the storms came, the waters rose, the the world threw everything that it could against this house. This house came down with a huge crash because it had a weak foundation. And so the question that we've kind of been asking throughout these past few weeks is, what does it look like to build your house, to to build your life? What does it take to build your life on a firm foundation? What does it look like to be steady and stable when the storms of life are coming your way? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said at the end of that, he said, believing is important. You know, believing all the stuff, having faith in God, studying the scripture, listening to a sermon, coming to church, that's all good. That's all important stuff. But unless you actually put it into practice, then it's just true, but useless. And so at the end of this, Jesus says this from Matthew seven twenty four at the beginning, rather, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And that's our goal. That's what we want for our lives, and that's what Jesus wants for our lives as well. And so this morning... I want to do a, a little bit of teaching, if that's all right with you. And, and I want to teach about calling, something that's kind of misunderstood and maybe, maybe foggy. And some of you are saying like, yeah, I know what my calling is. And some of you are like, who's calling? What's going on? I, you know, but <clears throat> calling is really about, and I think this is so important to end this series this way. It's really about putting your faith into the practice of your everyday life. And so we're going to go somewhere this morning. Uh, First place we're going to go to is we're going to go to the other side of the Midian Desert to find a lost soul over there listening to the crackling bush. Moses. The story of Moses. Y'all remember the story of Moses, right? Moses, the story kind of starts off as that Moses hears a voice from God within a bush that's on fire, but the flames aren't consuming it. Now, that's a strange story. Christians, we got a whole lot of strange stories. I mean, this is pretty odd that, that God lights a bush on fire to catch Moses's attention. I mean, God, what are you thinking? That's such a dangerous thing. We're out here in the desert. It's so dry out here. You can't go around lighting bushes on fire. Who do you think you are, God? It's okay. Only God can prevent desert fires or something. Some of y'all got that like 90s reference there. Okay. So let me catch you up uh, to speed on the story of Moses. Uh, God's people, 
the Israelites are being held as slaves by the Egyptians under this cruel new leader named Pharaoh. And so God speaks through a burning bush to this man named Moses, who used to be a Jew living in Egypt, but now he's living in the land of Midian, tending to some sheep as a shepherd because he just killed a man back in Egypt, one of the heroes of the faith is a murderer. And so now he's on the run from Egypt. He's in the land of Midian. And God shows up and says, hey, Moses, my people, who are your people, by the way, in case you forgot, I know you've been hanging around with these Midians for a long time, but my people, your people, are not being treated fairly. They're, they're being oppressed. And so Moses, what I want you to do is I want you, an old shepherd, to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, cut this slavery thing out. I know that it's going to wreck your entire economy, but, but stop it. Let my people go. And so here's what Moses said, and here's what maybe you and I would say as well. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Basically, hold, hold on, God, wait, wait a minute. If you're God, can't you handle this? I mean, I mean if, if you're who you say you are, if you're God, can't you handle this? Can't you take care of this on your own? Who am I? Why, why do you need me? But here's the thing about God. God likes to handle humanity's problems through human solutions. God loves to handle humanity's problems through human solutions. You find that true all the way throughout the Bible, even in Jesus, that God became a human being to handle humanity's greatest problem, our sin. See, God not only likes us enough to save us, but God likes us enough to use us for his purposes. But here's the thing about humans. We want God to solve our problems for us while we stay in our comfort zone. We want God to handle our problems for us while we stay put where we are. Who are we to solve the world's problems anyways? And maybe, maybe the reason why, why we resist this Maybe the reason why we resist, you know, God's calling, God's nudging for us to go and to do something is because we don't really want to see what God could do through us. Because whenever God calls us, you can be sure and certain that it is going to cost you something. Whenever God calls you, you know that it's going to actually cost you something. And, and I think that that has crippled us. I think that that fear has just overwhelmed us as the church of Jesus. And, and look, I don't want to get too nostalgic and, and romanticize the past, but once upon a time, once upon a time, Christians used to be famous for their reckless love. 
And that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore, sadly, at least through my perception. You see, it used to be the Christians who would stick around when the plagues would ravage a town. It was the Christians who hung back to take care of the sick and the dying because they had a hope that was beyond this world. Once upon a time, it was the Christians who would go and foster these babies that had been left out in the wilderness during the first century because their parents didn't want them. It was the church that became the first orphanage. It was the Christians, once upon a time, who would speak out against slavery and injustice, who would make their worship gatherings, their churches, a safe place for women who were abused. And look, we'll always be criticized for what we believe. That's been true all throughout history. That's not going to change. We'll always be criticized for what we believe, but we should be famous We should be famous for our love. We should be famous for our compassion, our generosity, our mercy, and our justice. We should be famous for our loving one another just as God through Jesus Christ first loved us. But sadly, sadly it seems like those things are an idle tale of the past. And maybe we've lost some of that passion And maybe we don't believe that we're really called to change the world anymore. That we just leave it up to God and we'll say, hey, hey, we'll pray about it. God, you you take it. You can handle it. Because we've run the numbers on the things that we value most, and it's just not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk of giving up the privileges and the prestige that we have, if we're honest, that we have as Christians here in the West. And by the way, who, who are we in this world? In, in today's culture, who are we that we should try to change anything anyways? And honestly, we're kind of comfortable right where we are. Why risk it? When God calls Moses... When God calls Moses, God calls him to risk it all, to get out of his comfort zone. And, and here's how Moses replied, and, and here's where we're going to pick up our story in Exodus 4. Moses answered, what if? What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What if? What if is one of fear's greatest hits? Do you know how many dreams have died because of what ifs? How many dreams have been what ifed to death? I bet you know. How many nights have you lost sleep because of a what if? How many mornings have you woken up anxious because of a what if? And maybe you brought a what if in here to church with you this morning. That's okay. But I hope you don't leave here with it. Because look at how God answered Moses when Moses gave his what-if question. It says, Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand, Moses? A staff? A staff? He replied, 
Now, the staff of Moses, the staff of Moses is one of the most overlooked heroes in the entire Bible. It's not because Moses' staff was special or anything like that. Moses' staff was just any old staff because every shepherd had one. His was nothing special. It was probably something that he just picked up along the way one day. And the whole reason why shepherds carried around staffs, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the whole reason why shepherds carry around staffs was to extend their reach. Because when you're a shepherd, it just really helps to have really long arms. When you're trying to get sheep and goats going in a certain direction, you extend your reach to nudge them along to go where you want them to go. It simply helps to extend the reach. Hang on to that because we're going to come back to it. But that's its primary function. But there was something that was perhaps unique about Moses' staff that didn't make it just a stick to him. And we might know some things about Moses' staff if we know the story. We might know that it was Moses' staff that was stretched out over the Red Sea to part it so the Israelites could travel through on dry ground while the Egyptians that followed were drowned in the sea. We might remember that it was Moses' staff that brought down the plagues of Egypt. We might remember that it was Moses' staff that was used when he struck the rock and fresh water came flowing from it uh, to give the thirsty people something to drink. But when Moses looked at the staff in his hand, before any of that happened, Moses may have seen just a little bit more than a stick Because Moses' staff represented more than his vocation. It also represented his mistakes. Because the staff, the staff is a sign of a lowly shepherd. One of the lowest people in society at this time. And Moses was never meant to be a shepherd in this sense. Moses was meant to be royalty, If you remember the story of Moses, Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter when he was a baby, when he was left in the Nile River to drown. He was meant to be royalty. And if he would have never lost his temper and killed that Egyptian that one day, he'd be sitting high and fine on a throne, not following around some dirty old sheep. He should have a scepter in his hand, not a staff. And so God comes to Moses and says, Moses, what is that in your hand? You see, when God calls you into your potential, God forces you to reckon with your past. When God calls you into something new, your potential, God forces you to reckon with your past. When God comes to Moses and says, Moses, what's that in your hand? It causes him to pause and to reckon with the mistakes that have landed him in this position that he is in right now. And too often, too often we can't see the possibility because we haven't dealt with our past. We, we can't see that what is in our hand, we can't see beyond it because it's just full of broken reminders. 
It's a failed marriage. It's a failed job. It's something that you tried one time, but you failed, and so you're not going to try again. But we only see what we choose to see. We only see what we choose to see. That if we only see our weaknesses, and if we only see our mistakes, then we will never see our potential. And maybe what you have in your hand, something you've been dragging along from your past, maybe that's the very thing that God will use to bring freedom and liberation to someone else. See, when God asks Moses, what's in your hand? God doesn't ask because God doesn't know. God asks because of what it represents. This is really so much more than just a stick. This staff represents Moses, his job, his family, his past, his escape, his identity, and God is calling him, Moses, give me all that you are, all that you are, and I will redefine you. But first I need you to surrender it to me and see what I can do through you. I need, to dr- I need you to drop what you're holding onto. And if you bring God your broken past, you will be surprised at what God can do through you. Because in order to find your calling, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And here's the thing. We can become so comfortable, so comfortable listening to that broken record that plays over and over and over again in our minds. Tried it once, failed. I'm not good enough. I tried it and I just didn't really see any change. We can become so comfortable in that. But in order to find your calling, you've got to get out of your comfort that we can't have both simultaneously. You can't have calling and comfort. It's like wanting abs and donuts at the same time. Just, it doesn't work, right? And so God calls Moses and says, Moses, forget about the sheep. I want you to go and talk some smack to Pharaoh. Jesus comes to the riverbanks and says to the sea banks and says to the fishermen, drop your nets and come and follow me. That's an uncomfortable proposition, And so Moses says what any of us would say, but what if? (laughs) What if, God? And God answers, you've got everything you need right in your hand. You've got everything you need right in your hand. You've just got to handle it. Everything is there within your reach. Everything you need It's right there. And maybe we could just stop the sermon right there because maybe that's just enough for someone. And maybe God is speaking a word to a burned out mom or dad this morning. Everything you need is right there in your hand. Someone struggling with a job, someone who's taken hit after hit after hit in their life. What you have is what you need. All that you need. 
I mean, let me say, that, that's a lesson that I needed to hear this week. I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I get so caught up in what I don't have that I forget to see what I do. I said me, I'm not, I'm not talking about you. But I get so caught up in the things that I don't have. But what God has been teaching me is that it's not so much about what you have. It's about how you handle what you have. It's less about what you have, and it's more about what you handle what you have. The ability to see the potential with the things that God has given you. It's not really about the staff. It never was, and it never will be. It's not really about what you have or what you don't have. It's about how you handle what you have. Being able to see the potential in the thing that is right within your reach. And so watch what happens next. It says, the Lord said, that staff in your hand, throw it on the ground. And so Moses threw it on the ground. And it became a snake. And he ran from it. Now, I'm not afraid of snakes, but if that would have happened to me, I would be running too. But I think there's a reason why this little piece is put here in Scripture. A reason why Moses ran from his staff-turned snake. We find out that's, that's the same reaction that Moses had back in Egypt when he killed that man. That Moses has learned that, that when there's something scary, when there's a problem, you just run away from it. That Moses has learned to become a runner. And then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand, Moses, and take it by the tail. God calls Moses to take that very thing that he's afraid of, that very thing that he's been running from, and take it by the tail. See, God calls us to handle the things that we've been running from. God can handle the things that we can't, but God won't handle the things that we won't. Let me say that again, because that's important, and I think it's a little foggy, not, all, not only outside, but inside. God can, can, can handle the things that we can't, but God won't handle the things that we won't. That when our sin was too great and overwhelming us, God sent Jesus to go to the cross to die for us, to give us freedom. God handled it. That God handled our past, our pain, our shame, our regrets, and called us by a new name to make us a new creation. God handled it. But it's the things that we won't handle the things that we want to just run away from, that God says, no, you got to go back. you got to go back and deal with that thing that you left lying low down in the dirt. you got to handle it. you got to pick it up. Because as long as we just stand here looking at it, it's still a snake. And as long as we just stand here praying about it, it's still going to be a snake. And so God says, Moses, I want you to grab it by its tail. Now, if you've never handled a snake before, 
you know that you're not supposed to grab it by its tail. And if you've never handled a snake before, you're obviously a snowbird because any good Floridian has handled snakes plenty of times before. But you don't grab it by its tail, you grab it by its what? Its head. At least that's what I was taught, but that's not how they do it on Animal Planet, so I don't know. Um, But you grab it by its head. Don't worry, we'll bring the snakes out later on in the service for you to give it a try. But you grab a snake by its head because if you grab it by its tail, then it can jump back and bite you. But our instinct, our instinct is to go for the tail because the tail is the farthest point away from the danger zone. The tail is the farthest point away from the fangs. And God says, Moses, grab it by its tail. Forget everything that you know. Risk it all. Go against what you think you know. Go against your fear and grab it by the tail and I'll take care, I'll take care of the rest. Just put a hand on it. Just get a handle on it and I'll take care of the rest. Your fear won't turn into your future until you grab it by the tail. Your pain won't turn into potential until you handle it. Your past won't turn into providence until you handle it. And so Moses, it says, reached out his hand and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses overcame his fear. He stopped running and God took care of it. Turned that very thing that he was so afraid of, that he was running from, back into the thing that he needed but that wasn't going to be enough for Moses. So Moses comes back to God and says, okay, neat trick, God, but look, I don't speak good, okay? I'm not a good public speaker. I'm just, I'm not your guy. I'm not the one that you want me to be a spokesperson for you. And that really ticked God off. And so skip down a few verses, and and this is what God says. This is Exodus 4.17. God said, Uh, that's there in the Hebrew. (laughs) Moses, take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. What you have is all you need. I'll take care of the rest. Just handle it. What you have is all you need. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, neighbor, you can say it, neighbor, I want to tell you, there's a staff in your hand. Now turn to your other neighbor, and say, other neighbor, you were my second choice. (laughs) But I want to tell you, that there's a staff in your hand. That there's a staff in your hand. 
There's a staff in your hand that can bring miracles even though you may not see it. There's a staff in your hand that can bring liberation even though you may not think that that is possible. There's a staff in your hand that can make a way for safe passage for someone else even though you think that's impossible because it is impossible through you but it is not impossible through God, a staff, an ordinary, everyday instrument that Moses had been using for years, carrying around for years, something that he just picked up along the way. Now God is using to perform miracles, something that Moses used just simply to extend his reach God now uses to extend his reach, to extend the hand of God into a broken and hurting people. But it was never about the staff. It was always, it was always about faith. It was about Moses overcoming his fear, overcoming his past, using what was right in his hand for God's purposes It was about faith, handling what needed to be handled. So this morning, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? To you, it may not look like much, but God might say, you know, I could use that if you'll just let me. What's in your hand? What could God do through you if you just took hold of it, overcame your fear, saw past your past to your potential that God is calling you into? Maybe all you see when you look at your hands is a mistake from the past, but maybe God could use that to speak to somebody else who's going through a similar challenge that maybe it's just some extra stuff that you have laying around that God could use to meet the needs of the world. Maybe it's a musical ability that God could use to lead people in worship, like up here in our band. Maybe for you, what's in your hand is that you're just really good at swinging a hammer. That's a good gift. There's a man named Millard Fuller, who started an organization called Habitat for Humanity. You ever heard of that? They build houses. Millard Fuller also wrote a book called The Theology of the Hammer. It's an awesome book, and in it he says this. He says, I see life as both a gift and a responsibility. My responsibility is to use what God has given me, what's in my hand, his case a hammer to help his people in need. One more quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He says, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or as Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. I love that. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? 
What's in your hand that can extend the hand of God? What's in your hand that can extend the reach of God? Are you willing to surrender it? Are are you willing to risk it? Are Are you willing to hand it over and say, yeah, God, this is mine that I've been carrying around, but you use it. Let me see what you can do through it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for the many gifts that you have given us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you know us, our very most inward being. You know our hearts. All things are laid out to you. And so, God, you know the things that we have in our hand. But, God, you also know the things that we have held back from you. And so I pray that maybe this morning, that if this spoke to anyone's life, God, that you would use it. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill us up with courage that we may take hold of it, see the potential of what you could do, not relying on our own strength, but what you could do through it. God, help us to believe. Help us to believe where we have not yet seen. Call us out of our comfort. Call us out of our complacency. Call us to be your church, Lord Jesus, for the sake of this world. Pray this, in God's holy name, amen.